Recorded live, 1,400 miles away from the kingdom of Nye, this is Rebel with a Cause. to another episode of Rebel with a Cause, and joining me today was number two on my little poll, but uh, still somebody I wanted to get on anyways, that's uh, Dexter De La Paz, also known as Dogman Respector on Twitter. How's it going, buddy? Oh, I'm doing real well. I appreciate you having me. <laughs> yeah, no problem. It's uh, I, I've heard you on all the other uh, podcasts, and I was like, oh, this is this would be a great guest to have. <laughs> he's well, got, he's got the Art Bell picture and everything, so... Oh, yeah. Overnight radio, one of my number one passions. I cannot describe just how much I love it. And that's part of the reason I actually love podcasting so much, too. You know, it makes the radio industry or this sort of thing super accessible to anyone who wants to do it. Yeah, uh, it it definitely does have, uh, with most of the shows, it does have that kind of overnight radio feel to it, doesn't it? Yeah, or at least that's the vibe that I strive to bring with me everywhere I go. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, picture that you have on Twitter is Art Bell, and so I, ha- I have to know that there's probably a, a story there with uh, Art Bell Radio. Is, uh, do you usually do like shift work overnight? Yeah, so a little bit of background on me. You know, even when I was real little and as a kid before I could really kind of grok or grasp all this stuff, I always loved the stories about Bigfoot sightings or the Loch Ness Monster and just all of that stuff. And then as a teenager, I kind of fell away from it a little bit. Yeah. But when I got to college and started staying up all hours of the night because I was a dumbass and didn't know any better. <laughs> yeah. And then after I got out of college and into the workforce, uh, I ended up doing security, right? I was a rent-a-cop for a little while. Mm. Well, a little while, a number of years. But uh, I worked overnight. And so this passion of my childhood was reignited when I discovered Coast to Coast AM. And, you know, not just that, but also Ground Zero, Midnight in the Desert, really all of those overnight radio shows. And, you know, once my passion for that was ignited, I realized, oh, my God, this Art Bell guy is freaking fantastic. (laughs) Well, uh, your your and I stories uh, kind of mesh a little bit because I also did uh, security guard stuff overnight, and a lot of that was spent in the truck, and it was just like you know going around the perim- perimeter of the uh, chemical plant, and so the only thing you have to do is listen to the radio, and uh, Art Bell would always be on there. So, oh yeah, uh, yeah. So you hear that music come on, and it's like, oh yeah, stuff is about to get weird. <laughs> Yeah, as soon as you hear the chase and, you know, that opening beat of that so distinct, you just know it's about to go down. (laughs) And uh, I think I've told just about everyone this at this point, but that's actually number one on my pre-recording or pre-research playlist. You know, when I'm jamming to the tunes, getting ready to do something like this, (laughs) it always starts with the chase. 
Yeah, it's uh, kind of reminiscent of that uh, movie uh, Gone in 60 Seconds where they have to listen to Lowrider before they go steal cars. You know, it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, right? So I, now I can just envision you just sitting there just uh, with a whole bunch of books like spread out in, before you and you have the chase playing and then you do the Nicolas Cage shaking of the hands. All right, let's do this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pile of books on one side of my desk, um, spreadsheets open on my computer in front of me, pot of coffee on the other side of my desk. I've got a whole system. It's very eclectic, but it works. <laughs> yeah, it's a, to the normal person just walking in on that, they probably see just like a bunch of garbage everywhere. But, uh, you know, if you have to take a step back to see to see the uh, the order and everything. Oh, yeah. I'd like to take it one step further and get like a whiteboard I can put above my computer monitor, but... <laughs> no, I haven't gotten to that yet. Uh, start getting the, uh, the the red yarn and start uh, tying together the <laughs> tying the, together the pictures like the uh, Charlie Day and uh, it's always oh yeah the scarlet thread yeah the scarlet the literal thread. scarlet thread yep it's uh it's coming <laughs> you know uh, I don't know if you listen to the damn woods at all but uh, they were the first podcast or true podcast that I really got into. And uh, Jake and Oz, they were kind enough to give me my first ever podcast appearance anywhere. Oh, okay. And I've got to say, one of their taglines, the reason this is relevant, one of their taglines is, first it's a joke, then it's a lifestyle. (laughs) And I think I've kind of memed myself into feeling like I need one of those web plot boards. I think they'd be (laughs) both very useful for what I do and also just a wonderful brand component to have. (laughs) Yeah, I, I haven't actually listened to the damn woods yet. I keep hearing it get referred to uh, at some point. I guess I'm going to have to hit that subscribe button and uh, start downloading episodes. Yeah, I think they're one of the real OGs in this space that we all kind of communally float in. Yeah, uh, <laughs> entered into the flow state with, right? But uh, so uh, speaking of Scarlet Threads, the uh, well, like I guess we can kind of touch on it briefly. Is the uh, the people that go missing in national parks? Uh, I, I've heard you uh, use this one on several different uh, shows. Uh, is there any been any new developments in that, or is that uh, still kind of an ongoing thing? Yeah. So I mean, people keep going missing in the parks all the time. It's kind of an ongoing thing that happens. Whether cases get sorted into that general conspiracy or they're just dismissed as legitimate missing persons is not something that I can really track myself and is pretty difficult to track just in general. Right. Because uh, the state uh, park service or the National Park Service, rather, isn't technically required to keep records on all of that. So while it's best to just kind of keep your ear to the ground or watch your local papers if you live in an area around the park, because they would be reported there more than likely, it's extremely difficult to keep a handle on it unless you're devoting all of your time to it, like David Politis does, Yeah. or you're in an area around the parks. Yeah, so if you live like around Yellowstone or something like that, you probably hear a little bit more about it then. Right. And, you know, especially for any listeners you or I might have in Cali or in uh, other parts of the American West, I'd say, you know, I'm not telling you to go pay for a newspaper subscription (laughs) because, you know, I don't. But uh, if you keep your eye on your paper's website or just check out your, I don't know, local ABC news station's website once in a while, 
you might be pretty up on that sort of thing. Yeah, okay. Uh, so other than that, what uh, conspiracies are you keeping track of these days? There's been a new one on the uh, scene the past few months that's kind of really exploded. And I was actually just messing around with it this morning, the morning that we're recording. I don't know how long it'll be till this episode goes out. But uh, the idea that this great nation, a literal empire in Europe and Asia called Tartaria, was literally just disappeared in history and that its existence is being suppressed is something I've been super into lately. And while I'm not mm. convinced of the validity of it necessarily, I think it makes for a really great story. Yeah, but that's, that's kind of happened before in history. Uh, just a group of people were in one place at some time, and then for whatever reason, they just disappeared. Uh, like here in the U.S., though, we had the, uh, the Anasazi Indians. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was yeah, a tribe, and, uh, and just all of a sudden, they're gone. Sure. And if I can be extremely clear about this, I am a uh, very firm proponent of the idea that history is actively and selectively edited on an as-needed basis, Uh, and as such, there's no actual coherent narrative. I just have a lot of skepticism in this very particular instance. Yeah, the uh, Tartaria, uh, you would hear the the Tartars being referred to constantly, so that... uh, would have to imagine there's there's there had to be some kind of place for it, but if you're just trying to say, oh no, it never existed in the first place, you know, that's, yeah, that's absolutely. A weird. Yeah. So the uh, main contention here is that uh, you know in history, as we're told, and is almost certainly is actually the case here, uh, Tartaria was just the name for the region settled by the uh, Turco-Mongol tribes. Okay. As they conquered stuff in the wake of Genghis's great march, you know, yeah. all of these regions got divided up among these nomadic clans, and that's how history treats it today. And I think it's pretty likely based on what we do know about their cultures. But the contention of this conspiracy theory is that they were not, in fact, these uh, nomadic tribes, but rather an entire settled and extremely advanced people and culture. Yeah, And the conspiracy here comes in that we didn't begin thinking of them as these savage, powerful, barbarian warrior nomads until after Western Europe had finally formed a coalition and beat them back and out of Europe, which happened several hundred years later than yeah. we are now today being told. That's the conspiracy. Yeah, okay. So. Kind of something along the lines of uh, phantom time hypothesis where somebody had uh, postulated that uh, there's like a, a hundred year gap in European history and people just kind of filled it up with uh, legends instead of actual history. Absolutely. And it's actually around 300 years. I'm oh, intimately okay, yeah. familiar with that one because I think that one's just another one that's so much fun to think about and play with as a thought exercise. It's <laughs> wonderful. The idea that the dark ages were literally invented from whole cloth. <laughs> yeah. It's just the, well, we don't know what to, to write down here. Everything's just kind of uh, miserable. Let's just make up this character called Charlemagne. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so fun, right? Yeah. I mean, just the sheer idea that, oh, by the way, the man who unified and founded what would become France, yeah, he didn't even actually exist. <laughs> yeah, Charles exactly. the Great, super convenient name for a king, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the uh, just missing people uh, stuff from history, that 
it's always going to be uh, kind of on the back of my head. There was a um, a cheesy movie that came out. I, I want to think it was like the early two thousands uh, called Mine Hunters, and in there they uh, introduced me to the Croatoan uh, mystery, where there was a uh, a colony in the uh, in Virginia, I think, and then just uh, when people came to check on them because they hadn't heard from them in a while, that everyone was gone, but carved in a tree was Croatoan, and nobody knew what that was. If it was an Indian word for something else. Uh, or somebody was just kind of signing a card saying, "Oh yeah, by the way, we took out all your people, and you know, here's who did it," you know, type of thing. So it's that that kind of stuff is always interesting to read about. Yeah, see, and the real interesting thing with that in particular is all the documentation. You know, we know for a fact that there was a colony there. Yeah, we know for a fact that it was well settled. We know who the natives were in that area. Because uh, the settlers had interacted with them, but then you come back and they are just gone. And that is literally the only clue. Yeah. You know, they couldn't find a trace of those people anywhere. Yeah. So, I, you know, what does a person even make of that, right? Yeah, it's kind of strange. Uh, uh, some of the accounts when you were reading about it was like food was still on the table and moldy at that point. So it, whatever it was, they left in a hurry because they, they were sitting down to eat. <laughs> Uh, and if it's moldy, then it's been there for a while. So it, it, yeah, it just, you get your mind racing around some of that stuff, trying to figure out. Yeah. You know, and that's the key, right? Left in a hurry. You know, if it's this horrible weather event, even then you're not necessarily going to rush out in a hurry. It would have to be like an attacking force or something to drive you immediately, immediately out of your home. Right. Wouldn't it? Yeah. Cause, uh, you know, back then there's no weather stations that are going to tell you how bad a certain storm is going to be. So, right, but you can like see a hurricane blowing in or something, though. Yeah, you definitely know when the weather has changed. Uh, I used to live in Louisiana, and anytime you know hurricanes come about, even if you didn't really know about it, you could you could tell there was change in the weather. It was like, oh yeah, it's right. about to get bad. <laughs> yeah, you can feel the air. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's quite something. Uh, I think a lot of people need to kind of start turning into themselves to kind of, because you can definitely feel a change. Uh, when I moved up here to Dallas, a couple weeks after I moved up here, we had a uh, tornado blow through Dallas, and it was about three or four miles away from me. You know, that whole night I was like, kind of antsy and everything else, and then I heard the uh, tornado sirens going off, and I was like, oh man, <laughs> I just moved up here, and then I'm about ready to get flattened by a tornado. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, uh, I can't say I've ever gotten to live through a tornado, so that one would be unique to me. But you can always feel the rain or the snow coming up here in Wisconsin. Yeah, uh, Wisconsin no, especially. It's, uh, you can probably feel when the, uh, you know, the barometric pressure drops and, you know, it's about to, about to get snowed in. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's a strong drop too. So, you know, humans have a powerful and well-honed intuition about that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of it we're just kind of learned not to do that. It was like, oh no, we got a weather channel over here. We can we can look at the weather and listen to Mr. Science Man with the suit. <laughs> ew. Yeah. Ew. Exactly. Ew. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm kind of science skeptical for the most part. Yeah, I think I heard you on. Uh, I think it was a race the state where you said science is both fake and gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I started I mean, laughing it's at mostly it. like, oh, in yeah. jest, but. <laughs> Yeah, for the, for the most part, it's uh, if you've got people claiming that they know everything about a climate model of the entire planet Earth, uh, yeah, my 
my skeptical hairs in the back of my neck start standing up. I was like, you, it, it's too complex. There's no computer model that you can make. <laughs> right. That's exactly. going to account for every variable. Yeah, it's just impossible. There's no freaking way. Yeah, like even in the uh, the Matrix movies, the architect had a problem with uh, variables and couldn't account for everything. <laughs> sure. You know, and it's not just that, but I think uh, the fact that more people don't talk about the replication crisis is a really big deal, too. All right, you well, know, that's we a new one on me here. You're going to have to explain what the replication crisis is. Well, it's just this idea that's out there that uh, they can't really currently... Uh, they can't, I guess, how do I want to phrase this? It's literally a replication crisis. You know, the basic of the basic premise of the scientific method is that you create a hypothesis that's both testable and then repeatable. Yeah. And there's just mountains and mountains of research out there now that can't be repeated and therefore probably is not scientifically valid. And because uh, scientists okay. are in our culture treated as these super intelligent, almost all-knowing beings, people aren't grappling with the fact that, hey, the uh, quality of this work just isn't there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I think I've, I've heard about this before. It's been a while. But, uh, yeah, you put out some kind of uh, theory on uh, how something works, and then other scientists try to repeat that work, and they can't do it, or they're not getting the same results. Yeah, I think I've, uh, Corbett might have uh, brought that up a while back. If you listen to James yes. Corbett. Yeah. Yeah, and he he's one of my favorites, actually. It seems like he's making less uh, videos than he used to. Like, he's slowed down a little bit, but yeah. uh, I'm a huge fan of his. You know, not to touch a lightning rod issue without some warning here for you, <laughs> but especially his work on 9-11 is just outstanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, I, I've been a 9-11 truther since the day of... Uh, I don't really talk about it too much because at this point I'm just figuring it's going to be like the uh, the Kennedy assassination all over again. The people that did it are going to be in charge for a while, and it doesn't really matter who I talk to about it. They're all just going to chuck it up. Well, that's crazy, and you know, just kind of shrug their shoulders and move on about their day. Uh, well, so if I can interrupt you here just real quick, yeah, go for it. That's kind of the thing with every conspiracy theory that the government is involved in. Literally yeah. every one of them. You know, they'll gaslight you for approximately 30 or 40 years. Yeah. Just enough time for one full generation, sometimes two, to cycle through and tell you that you're insane. And that's when the documents start coming out and they're forced to admit, oh, yeah, that was a real thing. It totally happened. But by that time, everyone just knows you're crazy or, you know, quotation marks knows you're crazy. Yeah, it's uh, just like the MK Ultra thing. I mean, people have been talking about that since the, uh, the 70s and 80s. And uh, yeah. you know, they're all just like, oh, no, you're crazy. The government would never use mind control tactics and LSD on people. <laughs> and, and then all the, the documentation documents, yeah. is literally everywhere. <laughs> I was like, well, it wasn't as bad as you said it was. I was like, well, you didn't even read. <laughs> I mean, there was a, one case in France where the guy wanted this uh, French uh, waitress and, uh, you know, Got his boy, got her boyfriend, all dosed up on LSD to make him kill himself or something like that, just so he can get with his French waitress. I read, really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is as bad as we said it was, and then some. Absolutely. So you know, and again, that's just the whole thing with every government-based conspiracy theory. You don't get to know the actual truth unless you're either a literally a truther, 
or B, you're prepared to wait multiple decades yeah. until they're finally ready to admit it because the gaslighting process has been completed. Yeah, so even with 9-11, uh, I, I kind of use it like, uh, oh, it's like, okay, well, if you believe the government's conspiracy theory that, uh, you know, 19 hijackers armed with box cutters took over planes and flew them into buildings, number one, they knew about it. How do we know about that? Because they had documentation saying that there were warning that planes were going to be used as missiles. Uh, anybody who went through World War II knows that pilots can do a lot of damage with planes. Uh, hello, Pearl Harbor. Uh, and uh, come to find out that uh, half of these people, you know, were on bases learning how to fly planes, not to, to take off or to land, just how to keep them in the air and move them around. That uh, should be a, a big warning sign to you. And then afterwards, the entire force of the government was used to start curtailing liberties with the Patriot Act. You know, I love the names for them. You know, the Patriot Act, the John Warner Defensive Authorization Act, uh, all this kind of stuff. Uh, so you can at least agree that maybe the government maybe overreacted a little bit and you might want to start, you know, uh, getting uh, politicians to start doing uh, decentralized and repeals of these of these bills. But no, you know, it's a, you know, oh, we got to fight them over there so we don't fight them over here stuff. And it's all based right. on bullshit, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I don't like to comment a whole lot on 9-11 you're really about, like, what do I think happened? Because I haven't even made up my mind about that myself, you know? Yeah. For me, the real matter is they're definitely hiding something. Why are they hiding it? What is it? Yeah. You know, and I'm prepared to completely dismiss some of the most wild parts of it. Like, I don't think it was a directed energy weapon. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. think the buildings <laughs> were holograms or anything. Because uh, you do actually holograms. see. Yeah. Right. I don't think that stuff has any credibility whatsoever. Yeah, if I can dispel the government's uh, conspiracy theory with one sentence, then it, they probably don't hold any water. But cell phones don't work above three thousand feet, especially in two thousand and one. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, long before there were cell phones on planes, and even then, that was two thousand and six, and not every airplane. Air phones weren't in every airplane. It wasn't in United ninety three. There was no phone calls made. <laughs> So it's, it's it's so crazy. And then when you start pointing this stuff out and people just kind of roll their eyes and just like, oh, okay, you're one of those. I was like, all right, well, I'm just trying to tell you. I don't know what happened either. But whatever right. they're being told, I know, is not true. Well, and that's, again, that's just exactly the thing. You nailed it. Yeah. But uh, uh, speaking of 9-11 then those who are responsible, uh, here just a little while ago we had uh, a, a purported Hillary Clinton getting uh, taken pictures of and then the news media saying, oh, look how good she looks. I'm a yeah. little dubious. I'm a little dubious. Yeah. So either that's uh, – either she really let herself go. She got some of the most extreme and sloppy plastic surgery ever. Right. Uh, there was something wrong with her adrenochrome injection, <laughs> or that's just not her, you know. But she does not look like she used to. Yeah, there's uh, <laughs> once that picture came out, there's been a lot of side-by-side -side comparisons. And whoever they got to dress up as Hillary Clinton, I'm on the side of that's a body double. Because <laughs> that, that picture definitely looks like, oh, you just surprised me. Uh, Mr. Cameraman, by standing this close to me, I think you're supposed to be like 20 feet off in that direction to catch like a uh, a quick from the side view, and that's it. <laughs> sure, you know, and I think there is something to that because, like I said, that picture definitely looks wrong. But you know, and if I 
if I can express just a little skepticism here, as yeah, wrong as it. it might look, it's not like there's not a lot of ways in which a picture can be altered to make it look like something is or isn't someone. Right. Or, you know, again, even just based on the angle we're seeing it from, who knows? Yeah. Now, all of that being said, I think what makes it the the thing that makes me the most skeptical is uh, it was a picture taken in public. Right. So, you know, unless they also staged the entire crowd around them or yeah. all the other people that were there, that's what forces a person to think maybe that actually is her, which then leads to the other questions. You know, was it sloppy plastic surgery? Is she just getting big or what? Yeah. You know, like I said, that's my main concern is how do you stage the rest of it? Yeah. Uh, and I know cameras do funny things, uh, especially if it depends on kind of where you're focusing, what type of lens you're using can make a person's face look, uh, you know, bigger or smaller. Uh, depending on how it's done, uh, but to me, that's the the look on her face is of surprise. Like she wasn't expecting the cameraman to be like right there. I, yeah, I, I could be wrong about that, but I, that's the kind of face that I would make if somebody had just like walked up to me and just shot a picture like right in front of me. You know? No, I agree with you. I'm 100 percent on board with that. They definitely looked like they were caught off guard. Yeah, which again is also interesting because it was a public appearance appearance if i'm not mistaken right yeah that's uh you know bill clinton was there and uh i, I don't know if it was a fundraiser or not i have to go back into my notes but uh yeah there was a, there was a bunch of people you can see people in the background just kind of milling around and just all of a sudden this hillary clinton looking person <laughs> just kind of standing there like oh it's like oh you got a picture of me and then like the news media like i don't know trying to spin it and it's like oh she's never looked better and I was looking at it, it was like, this woman looks like dog shit. I don't know what the hell you're talking right. about. This does not look like a human being. <laughs> it's like the the lizard person's skin suit was just off. You know, it just wasn't put on right. correctly. <laughs> yeah, man. I If you could tell me what to make of it, I'd love to hear it. Because <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know what to make of that. You know, what does it say if it is in fact a body double? Yeah, you know it, where the hell is she? If that's the case, if that's the wildest thought we have, <laughs> and if that wildest thought pans out, then what is the implication of that, right? Yeah, I'm gonna kind of take the uh, the minority report here. Uh, body doubles have been used all throughout history for every kind of major figure, I guess. Uh, even Saddam Hussein had body doubles. His sons had body doubles. Um, it, so it, it's not out of the realm of possibility that a politician would use a body double. Uh, I think in this case, uh, I'm not going to go with Bert Arcus line where Hillary Clinton's dead and they're just going to trot out the body double here and there. Uh, she well, is... Well, that's because that's all, they're already doing that with Ginsburg, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're going to roll out Robo Ginsburg to, to make sure that that Supreme Court seat is filled forever. Uh, well, I think in this case, Hillary Clinton is so diseased at this point. She's got... Uh, Problems with her thyroid that she has to take, uh, you know, desiccated uh, thyroid to uh, balance that out. We know that she's got several other problems. You know, she falls down all the time, coughing fits, everything else. Uh, so I think in this case, they probably just got the body double to go out for this one appearance because she was too sick to go outside. That's my theory on it. Yeah, and I definitely agree that, that something along those lines is 100% the most likely case. You know, I do agree with you i think she's just too sick to be making public appearances right now 
Yeah. But they need to uh, keep their figurative powder dry, so they're trying to use whatever tricks they can to make it look like she's still as healthy as they're able to. Yeah, just get and, her. You know, on help. that note too, I think uh, I'm relatively certain that Bill's pretty freaking sick at this point too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He he looks like he's on death's door. <laughs> every yeah, time I see looked, him, it's like his. Uh, he looks more gaunt every year that passes. So. He literally looks like he's rotting from the inside out. Is what I think he looks like. <laughs> yeah, another one where the uh, the lizard person's skin suit isn't fitting so well. Uh, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, even uh, even some of the uh, what we consider the the you know the Illuminati quote unquote uh, you know the the Rothschilds and the uh, you know the princes over there in England who are actually Germans and not English in any kind of way. I mean, they right. they all look like shit, and uh, even David Rockefeller up until he died looked just horrible. Uh, <laughs> going into that, he, you know, and I don't look at uh, people like my ninety five year old grandmother, who passed away uh, a couple of years ago. It's like, you know, she looked still looked like my grandmother. You know, it's just she was just old. But uh, these people, for whatever reason, it, it's uh, it's a whole different ball game. You know, and I don't have any explanation for it personally, but I think you're really hitting on something there. You know, if I can ask the listeners real quick to just think about your extremely elderly relatives. You know, some of them are sick. Some of them are in very rough shape. But if they're healthy, and if you've known them your life as one of your elders, they look like they're in pretty good condition for being as old as they are, right? Yeah. And now compare that to a guy like, who is it, Prince Philip? Yeah, over Prince there Phil- in England, oh, yeah, the guy who looks like he's literally a corpse when they got that picture of him in a car just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. You know, that's that's not the same as, say, your great-grandmother or my great-uncle or such and such person that you know, you know? Yeah, there's it's, definitely something It's insane. These, yeah. these people look like they're rotting from the inside out. Yeah. And I think that's really just the best way to put it. It's... It's like if I went to a, a, a cartoonist and I said, uh, all right, I'm going to make a horror series, but I need you to draw a ghoul that kind of looks like a human. And that's the person they would draw, you know? Right. Like, what if this zombie wasn't dead? Yeah, it wasn't quite dead. They were still trying to pass as human. Yeah. That, that's the type of picture you would draw. It's just somebody who just looks off from everybody else. Yeah. So again, then, though, the next question is, what is the implication of that? You know, because you would assume, logically speaking, that these people who are so much more wealthy yeah. and so much more influential than us should theoretically have access to the most advanced life-extending research and medicines and procedures. So why do they all seem to look so much worse than us? Yeah. I don't know. That that would be something that, yeah. you know, if I could be a fly on the wall for something, that would be definitely it. Sorry. Right. Well, that's the thing, too, though, right? You know, we just have no way of knowing. They're all questions that just can't be answered. But if I could, I would. <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh... All right. Well, hold on just a second. We'll be right back. Hey, folks, real quick. I missed the Ask Me Anything portion of the show, and I want to bring it back, but I need your help. Down below in the show notes, there are two ways to send me a question. Number one, the anchor voicemail. Number two, email. I have both of those links down there. Use them. Thanks. All right, now that we've paid some of the bills around here, now back to the interview. 
the mind reels. You, you just kind of have to step back and it's like, oh man, this is, you know, it almost gets too crazy. And uh, sometimes you got to doubt yourself. You're just like, all right, am I being crazy just looking into this or is everybody else crazy for not seeing what I'm seeing? <laughs> I struggle with that question literally every minute of every day. <laughs> you know, at, at this point, it's uh, at this point, I personally just assume Okay, you just got to lean into it, man. You're already halfway there. Just lean into it. Yeah. yeah. As, as the timeline only continues to get more weird, you're going to have to get more weird and more outlandish <laughs> with it. Uh, there's no other way to keep up other than that. Yeah, that's... Well, exactly. It's like, I, I can see the politician is definitely lying to your face, and you are believing every second of it. You know, it's like, come on, you know, wake up a little bit. You kind of want to shake people. But it's, it gets so nuts. And then when you do finally catch somebody's attention, then they immediately start the eyes glazing over and everything when you start going into the evidence just because they don't want to take the time. <laughs> sure. Well, and that's what I told the uh, guys that erased the state, right? That's why you got to open with the most absurd and outlandish thing you can think of and work your way back to the reasonable red pills. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I think that's exactly what I said at the end of the show with them. Nukes aren't real, but the Hollywood pedophiles are, and yeah. that's your foot in the door, right? Exactly. Yeah, Michael Malice often says, you know, you're supposed to take one red pill, not the whole bottle. So, <laughs> Well, you know, all due respect to him, I haven't managed to overdose on red pills yet, no matter how hard I try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> so it's a um, – especially dealing with uh, 9-11 and everything else uh, – uh, some of these conspiracies, uh, people like the simple explanation, it, it's the Jews, you know, <laughs> have to lean in hard to that. And you're like, uh, okay, give me your evidence. And then they'll name like one person who's on a board of something who's got a very Jewish sounding name. And it's like, okay, well, what about these 10 other people who are obviously not Jewish? <laughs> you know, what do you, what do you make of that? But uh, it, yeah, yeah, that stuff gets, that gets old pretty quick. I absolutely cannot stand that sort of thing either you know i've talked about it on my appearances with the friends against government but it's uh it's what i keep calling the pause principle right <laughs> why would you ever assume some neat and tidy thing when you can assume the most intricate and evil explanation for something yeah and i think that you need to take that to its logical conclusion with these conspiracies you know, unless you have direct documentation of something, why would you ever assume that the people committing X, Y, and Z acts is as simple as a class of X people for Y reason? Yeah. You know, why wouldn't it be even more complex than that? Because it almost certainly is. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it just, it's like, okay, well, this is just lazy conspiracy theory right here. Uh, you're just assigning the blame to this one particular group of people. You know, uh, you're not right. really doing when any it's more almost research. certainly an extremely detailed subset that you might not even be able to identify. Yeah, and uh, most of the uh, most of the uh, evidence after the uh, the first couple of layers, uh, shall we say, is tenuous at best because you uh, a lot of times you just got to start connecting dots that maybe aren't uh, connectable in any kind of way, but they certainly seem uh, surrounded by those other dots. If you know what I mean. Sure, and the exact nature of conspiracy theory is such that it defies conventional documentation. Right. And while I think it's okay to draw those conclusions yourself, you need to take the utmost care 
that even if they're not directly documented, even if they wouldn't stand up to the writing of a formal logical proof, that they should at least be reasonable and well thought out. Yeah, yeah. The guilt by association is uh, is one of those things where you kind of say, well, you know, just because that guy was standing over there with that group of guys doesn't mean he also committed whatever crime that you're wanting to accuse them of. You know, he just may be the guy who was just standing there at the point. Absolutely. But at the same time, you know, if you've got that same guy who's in this situation and this situation, and I'm talking about Donald Rumsfeld, you know, it's like, okay, well, we got a war in Afghanistan. They really wanted to go into Iraq first, but they got Afghanistan. And uh, when you look back in the history, you know, he was the guy who signed the deal with the uh, the weapons uh, in Iraq in the 1980s. Uh, and he also gave us aspartame. So, it, yeah, well, you know, and that's the thing, right? <laughs> it, it's one thing if you see a couple of names appearing by coincidence or an accident or you only see it once. But it's when it's those same few people who keep cropping up over and over and over again. That's when you are rightfully able to get suspicious. Yeah. And actually, if I can make one note on Mr. Rumsfeld himself. Yeah. I uh, don't know if you've looked at your timeline at all today on Twitter. But uh, I went on a binge while we were in our pre-recording phase. Yeah. And I actually found a really interesting article about the looting of the Baghdad Museum. And it had an embedded video in the article linking to him at a press conference saying these things happen when he was asked about the looting of the Baghdad Museum. And that prompted me to ask, well, you know, what did he know about it? Yeah, because there's quite a lot that was in the Baghdad Museum that... uh, archaeologists and everything didn't have access to yeah prior to the gulf war uh two or whatever they call it sure and that's that's the thing right the initial estimates after all that happened you know literally almost almost two decades now ago was that 170,000 items were supposedly looted out of the museum well that was proven to be a bad number and a bad assumption but to the best of my knowledge they never gave a second revised estimate of just how many items were stolen out of that museum. Yeah. Now, they never revised the count of stolen items, but they have confirmed that approximately 5,000 items have been returned in the 15 years since. And that was probably so, just people selling stuff, you know, on the black market. Right. Yeah. One, uh, yeah, that's just it. So just how many items are actually just floating around out there. Yeah. You know, what the hell? And that raises an even more interesting question. You know, we didn't have an inventory list for that museum. So just what are the items to? And that's one of the single most interesting questions to me personally. Yeah. Because that sort of suppressed history is so important to me. You know, it's one of my very favorite topics. Yeah. And Iraq, what the uh, current country is sitting on was Babylon. Uh, you know, that's all the way back to Hammurabi's code of, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth t- uh, type stuff. Uh, it was also the birthplace of monotheism with uh, Zoroastrianism, which is still practiced today. You know, that yes, everything goes back to that place. So, <laughs> yeah, and that's extremely important to me, too, because I think you're raising a really good point there. Elsewhere around the world, 
our history of civilization is not nearly as old as we think it is. No, a couple of, know, couple of thousand years, and that's, that's pretty much it. Right. The furthest back we can reliably certainly go is a couple hundred years. The furthest back our records go is a couple of thousand, and we've pieced together what we think, and I want to emphasize think, we can speculate about to about three to 4,000 years ago. Yeah. But some of the stuff they're pulling out of the desert in Iraq, and we know they've pulled out of there, is estimating to five, 6,000 years ago. So we're running into stuff there and have discovered things under the sand that are older than we have any actual explanation for, no matter what experts might tell you. Yeah, and uh, a lot of archaeology is just trying to piece together stuff. Uh, so you... Uh, take a little thought experiment, try to imagine yourself uh, a thousand years from now, and you find a modern art uh, like a statue in the front of a building. You know, and it may just be yeah. art to you know present-day humans, but a thousand years from now, they may look at this and was like, okay, well, this, I guess, was a deity? Uh, sure, I'll take it one step further, yeah. for example. You know, what happens... Uh, 700 years from now, after a major earthquake, and someone's digging, and they find the glass pyramid in Paris at uh, the Louvre, or oh, whatever yeah, yeah. it's called. They also you have know? one in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, too. They have a pyramid made out of glass. Yeah, at the, uh, what is it, Bass Pro Shop or some shit? Yeah, because that's where you put a glass pyramid, right? <laughs> But that's the thing, you know, what happens several hundred years from now when you dig up something like that? Yeah. You know? Maybe not even digging it up, but just a picture or a painting or something of it, you know, because... Sure. I really don't think that uh, digital stuff will probably last uh, all that long. Uh, So it's going to be like all the hard stuff that was left. So if somebody had a picture of it, printed it out, and they're like, okay, well, we don't know who these three people are with their uh, backs turned and doing duck face in the front, but I mean... Why did they have a glass pyramid in the back? What was going on there? But at the same time, though, that does almost cut against the argument we want to make. Because, you know, today it's innocuous. And that might even be saying that back then it was, too. You know? Yeah. The argument that we're making here is actually an argument against significance. So a person has to take the good with the bad when considering that line of thought. Yeah, um, but you know, when making the uh, pyramids, you're having to get a lot of people involved to do this one thing. You know that it had to have some kind of significance to it. But uh, you know whether or not it was used for the burial of whatever king at the time. You know that that still is undetermined. But uh, or, or is it the place that was just there and it just seemed like a place to put a king when he died? You know it was already built. We just kind of. Settled along this. Yeah, we just kind of moved in, you know. Yeah, you know, and that's a pretty common argument, especially from alternate history sort of thinkers that I read and, you know, that I'm so into is, you know, what if all this stuff was already there? Yeah. And the people we consider to be our history just kind of moved in. Yeah. And, and then, you know, uh, the I've... later kingdoms, you know, all of those pyramids are filled up, so they just bury them in the Valley of the Kings, you know, in simple tombs comparatively. Right, yeah. See, and especially that Egyptian stuff is so interesting. Yeah. You know, it goes back to uh, Graham Hancock and the dating of the Sphinx. Yeah, Fingerprints of of the Gods. It was like one of my first uh, big books that I ever read, you know, in high school. (laughs) 
But uh, yeah, that uh, geologist, you know, he uh, he used to take the picture of the Sphinx around, but he would cover up the head, and he would just kind of show like a portion of the tail section where it kind of just looks like a rock outcropping, and he would take it to his fellow geologist friends, and he would say, "What kind of erosion is that?" And it was, "Oh, that's obviously water." And then he would take the tape off of the Sphinx head, and he goes, "Is it water?" And then people would just shoo him out of his office because yeah. it's like, no, I I, I don't want to go any further with that. <laughs> Right. It's uh, dangerous to be too unconventional of a thinker. Yeah, and his uh, his theory was it was probably 12,000 some odd years ago because at that time the uh, constellation Leo would have been on on the horizon. So it makes more sense that it was actually a large lion statue. Right. Rather yeah. than uh, a lion statue with a human head, you know. Yeah, you know, and I think that that's uh, pretty speculative too. You know, it does make a certain degree of sense that, oh, whoever or whatever built it would have modeled it after a constellation. Yeah. But then, honestly, though, at the point that you've got the technology to build something that truly incredible, you could have made it look like absolutely whatever you wanted it to. Yeah. So to think that was modeled on a constellation, I think, is uh, it's reasonable, but it's not necessarily supported. Yeah. Uh, you could model it after a lion because those were all over the place back then. Uh, sure. And I think that's even more reasonable than saying, oh, yeah. it had to be modeled after a lion because a constellation was there. Right. But if no, I, I mean, you yeah. would have seen them on the savannah or something. Yeah. If I would have shown just a random dot pattern on a sheet of paper, I was like, do you see a line in that? <laughs> Maybe if you ask 10 people, one person would say, yeah, I, got, I can see a line in that. Right. Yeah, that's how I am with constellations. I was like, okay, well, why are they saying Orion is a hunter? You know, to me, it looks like an hourglass with a with a moon next to it, it's not necessarily a guy holding a bow. You know. Sure, and I we know for a fact that cultures of the past discovered astro navigation fairly early on, right. and that gives constellations and whatnot quite a deal of significance. But I also think that we probably have a tendency to overstate how significant just astrology itself was to ancient cultures. Oh yeah, yeah. That's uh, that that's the idea with the uh, the medicine man or the shaman kind of knew the comings and goings of the moon and could accurately predict when there was going to be an eclipse, so he can get uh, his tribe to to do certain things for him because he can say, well, if you don't do this, I will block out the sun for a day. You know. Right, thing. exactly. Yeah. They definitely knew astro navigation, but that doesn't mean they they were all star worshiping cults. Yeah, exactly. You know, not that they weren't, not that those weren't real and aren't still real today, because obviously they are. But to think that they all were because they're somehow more primitive and less materialist than us is still pretty absurd. <laughs> no, they were they were people just like us. It's they didn't have the technology that we have. As I've often said that uh, people don't change the things around them do. You know, absolutely. So, absolutely. Uh, yeah, whatever bad negative thinking that you have, you know, was the same bad negative thinking of somebody that was uh, alive a thousand or two thousand years ago. It's just the technology is way different. It's, you know, jealousy, hatred, all that stuff is still the same. I mean, we're all humans, you know, <laughs> to, to, to think that somebody a thousand years ago didn't think that way because they were in a tribe, you know, that with close family members is, is ridiculous. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, you know, that even gets me thinking about the more technically savvy cultures of ancient times, you know, like the Romans, I guess, even specifically. 
how are you going to call them any kind of primitive or something? You know, they were building aqueducts that weren't rivaled for well over a thousand years later, you know? Yeah. Yeah, And even modern, the feats of actual technical engineering that some of these people accomplished is insane. And in many ways, even greater than what we can do today, you know, what would they have built with the materials we have? Look what they created when they were just making do with stonemasonry. Yeah. Uh, and even their road construction is uh, – modern road construction is still kind of that same way. I mean you have to you know put down underlayment and everything else and then a paving on top of it. And uh, I, I don't know if you've ever been to Rome, but those roads are still around and still in pretty good shape. I wouldn't yeah. want to drive a car over it, but uh, yeah, you know, for walking and carrying a cart, sure. Sure. Well, and it's not like you couldn't even drive a car on them necessarily, you know? Yeah. A lot of the reason our automobiles are designed like they are is with our own roads in mind. Yeah. It's not like you couldn't navigate on those roads or couldn't design a vehicle to navigate on them. We just don't because that's not the way we developed things. Yeah. And, you know, their road construction was, you know, for cart and buggy and people walking. So, you know, it's all cobblestones and bricks and stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, if you had to take a, a modern car or truck on it, you know, it's going to be a very bumpy ride. It's not going to be, you know, comfortable at all. But, uh, you know, and our modern roads are pretty much the same way. Con- uh, concrete's got small aggregate in it. You know, the asphalt is part rubber, you know, to keep the uh, the ride quiet and smooth. So Right. It's just built around what we're using on, using on it. So, but... Uh, yeah, Roman architecture uh, still studied today, and for good reason. Their stuff is still around. Uh, you go to Rome, and all that stuff is still there. Uh, maybe in bad condition, but still there. Yeah, it's it really is insane that you could build something that would last two thousand years. Yeah, you know, you, you know, get... if we can take just a moment and just reflect on that, that's what the Romans did is truly mind-boggling. Yeah, it's uh, you even uh, take it down to the personal level. You know, we can't even build a house uh, here in the United States that's going to last over a hundred years without something going on with it. You know, the house that I had in Louisiana was ninety, and uh, you know, it had ninety-year-old house problems. You know, <laughs> you know, right. floors unlevel. You know, doors don't quite fit up anymore. <laughs> but you uh, take a look at some of those Roman uh, dwellings and everything. You know, still in pretty good shape. Everything was made out of stone. Yeah, it's got cracks and stuff in it, but it, it's been there for two thousand years. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if you had to guess, you know, just as a thought exercise, what are some buildings around the world today that you think could make it two thousand years? You know, I might guess something like maybe the Rose Bowl out in California. Yeah. Or some of those bigger uncovered stadiums, I think, might stand a shot. But even that's a real outside chance. You know, it can't be taken for granted that those would last forever with the way they're constructed. Yeah. You know, I don't think a lot of skyscrapers are making it any 2,000 years. Yeah. Skyscrapers, I think, would probably be the last thing to uh, to be around. But, you know, 2,000 years might be a stretch. Sure. That's a long time. Yeah. You know, even just freak of nature, natural accidents happen and tear stuff down. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, oh, that was the, that was the other thing. Even when the the first colonies started coming over here, they found stone structures and everything that were outdated them. 
And some people would like to say, well, you know, it was maybe the Vikings because they were all over North America uh, a thousand years ago. So maybe it was them. And then <laughs> you compare it to other Viking structures and it doesn't look anything similar. Yeah. And then you get into another one of my very favorite topics, the uh, Indian mounds and yep. the mound builder culture, you know, yep. and a lot of uh, especially in Eastern tribes, but also in Western tribes, their traditions, you know, their oral histories say, we didn't build those things. We found them when we got here. Yeah. And some of them even have legends of chasing out the inhabitants that built them. Yeah. Uh, when I lived in Baton Rouge, there was a mound right there at LSU. Uh, it's right in the middle of campus. You can actually walk on top of it. It's that, you know, Baton Rouge is not especially hilly at, at all, but there's this one mound right in the middle of LSU that you can go on. They, they deemed it an Indian mound, but that... Uh, you know, the Choctaws and everything, the Indian tribes that were around was like, yeah, we didn't, we didn't build those. They, they were here, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you know, and I don't think it's an accident that LSU would have been built at a mound site. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you think about it, I think it's absolutely no accident that Americans settled so many areas with mounds right there around them. You know, another one that uh, I spend a lot of time thinking about Actually, if I can get just a little weird here. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> with Yeah, and kind of introduce something I don't think I've talked about on any other shows yet. Uh, Charles Manson, right? Yeah. The town that he was born in and he spent his childhood in, Ashland, Kentucky, has a whole bunch of mounds right in the center of the town, in the town square. Yeah. And yeah. then, at the end of his childhood... He spent most of his teens and early adulthood in prisons in various places around the country, not just California. Yeah. And the prison that he spent the most time in was the federal prison in Cahokia. Well, if you know where Cahokia is, you know that it's the largest mound complex in the United States. Hmm. It's an entire city of mounds. Yeah. So this dude, he spent his entire lifetime around the mounds, you know? And I mean, sure, maybe that's just a coincidence, but, you know, maybe it's not because we also don't know everything there is to know about mounds. Yeah. And the, the life of me, I can't remember the name of the book, but uh, I was made aware of a book that I haven't been able to, I haven't been able to track down a copy of it either. But it's uh, supposedly, again, according to what I've been told about it, a well-researched study about unique electromagnetic patterns present around some mounds that lead to increased crop growth. Hmm. Now, if, again, I'm very specifically using the word if, so listeners don't ascribe anything to me that I'm not <laughs> actually saying here. Yeah. But if that's the case, if they do have a unique electromagnetic signature then is it possible that the mounds could also screw with a human being with prolonged enough exposure? Well, that's uh, certainly and the case. And there's a question mark on the end of that. But, yeah. You know, it's worth thinking about. Yeah, it's uh, certainly the case. I mean, uh, our heads have a certain amount of uh, magnetic material in it. I mean, you look at a bird, uh, they, they have a certain amount of hematite in them, uh, and that's how they know how to fly south for the winter. Um so, yeah, you know, we're basically built of antennas. So, you know, if we look at DNA, it would make an, a great uh, antenna for something. And so if you got something that – and people do feel weird around different things. Um, you know, some people are a little more 
sensitive to uh, electromagnetic fields than others. Uh, so, so sure, yeah. So on and some... to the to the point where uh, some people, you know, you're talking about sensitivity. Some people with the uh, right bodily makeup, I guess, is the most polite way to phrase it. Yeah, can even hear or feel or sense electricity. You know, to a level that's ten or, or more times more sensitive than the rest of us. Yeah. You know, some people can hear electrical sockets crackling or can sense when an electric device is on, even if there's no indicator. Yeah. Yeah. And for for those that are sensitive, uh, I know people who can't stand being around flat screen TVs because if they get too close, they, they say it feels like their their uh, their bones are vibrating. And so they back away from them, or if they go into a room with the flat screen TV, they don't want to stay there for very long, which is weird. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. So, you know, uh, I don't think it's, um, well, maybe it's unreasonable to speculate, but the thought has occurred to me, you know, what if Manson is one of those hypersensitives? Yeah. Or was, rather, and he spent his entire lifetime around areas that could potentially have been trigger points. Yeah. And then just took it the other way with it, where some people just like, oh, yeah, I don't want to be here. You know, he just takes it as, oh, yeah, man. <laughs> right, or it literally yeah. does some kind of damage to him or rots him. Yeah. So, you know, totally wild speculation, insufficiently researched, but just a thought that has occurred to me and something that I have thought about. Yeah, and uh, just to say, like, the southeast is littered with mound sites. I mean, they are all over the place. So for whatever reason, the southeast was Mound Central. Yeah, and not just that, but the uh, conquistadors, the Spanish who originally mapped and charted those areas, talk about it a fair amount too, and talk about meeting some very interesting tribes and peoples there in what would become Florida and yeah. Georgia and Mississippi and Alabama. You know, Tuscaloosa, the namesake of Tuscaloosa, Alabama was supposedly a giant Indian chief, like a truly massive, eight-foot-tall, well-muscled man. Yeah. And, of course, going back into history, you can also take that to mean, well, it's like, well, if he was a giant, um, you know, he could have been, like, six-foot-five and still been considered a giant. <laughs> you know, and people say that, yeah. but I think it's safe to say that if we take seriously the idea that they weren't somehow stupid primitives. Yeah. They would know the difference between a big person and a truly giant person, you know? Yeah, very true. Very true. There's uh, some accounts that uh, when the uh, colonists who had lived in the in the Americas for a long period of time tended to be a little bit taller than their English uh, relatives – because you know they had access to better food, they weren't in cramped conditions and uh, and things like that. Uh, so they would generally start getting taller. Uh, but even then, you know, we're talking five foot nine, you know, five foot ten, maybe. <laughs> right. You yeah. know, and that's the thing too. You know, some Native Americans were speculated by those early colonists to have been significantly bigger even than some of the uh, settlers that came over. You know, they knew that some of these native tribes were tall and well-built, but they weren't calling those people giants, though. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And uh, this is probably going to veer off into the uh, the TEDx talk, and I, I really got to get that guy's name. But uh, he gave a talk about giants in, in the Americas, 
being at least seven feet or over, a double row set of teeth, uh, some of them uh, found near mound sites like we were just talking about, and the Smithsonian trying to cover that kind of stuff up. Yeah, you know, and again, that's one of my very favorite topics. I absolutely love that stuff. You're talking about that infamous uh, band TED Talk that you can't hardly find anywhere. Yeah, I uh, want to say, what was it, uh, 2007, 2008 when that first came out? And then when you try to look for it now, it's not anywhere. And I know we had a show on the Discovery or the History Channel for a little bit, but it only lasted like six or seven episodes before it got pulled or something. Yeah, yeah, and I don't even remember who gave the talk either. I want to say it was... It's one of those big names in Giantology, but I don't want to misattribute it to the wrong researcher. But uh, there's a lot of good ones out there. Jim Vieira, Hugh Newman. Yeah, it was Jim Vieira. Uh, li- yeah, the, yes, yeah, the guy yeah, was like a stonemason or something on the side, but it was like his own research. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's actually primarily a stonemason. You know, that's what he is by trade. Yeah. And he kind of got into all this wild stuff after he would started finding uh, – strange stoneworks and earthworks up around his uh home in the new england region you know he's an yeah. east coast american yeah that's that's exactly who it was jim Vieira. i was like uh i knew his last name started with a v <laughs> but it was like uh they uh discovery or history gave him a, a tv show uh but it didn't last very long it was like i only want to say it was like six or seven episodes and then they uh had like its season finale where he supposedly found like this underground thing with a uh, interesting stonework to it. And that's where they ended it at. And they never picked it back up after that. Yeah. Well, I think uh, if I'm recalling correctly, it was always designed to be a limited run though. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't think that was ever scripted to be an ongoing project. Yeah. Like uh, most things, the ratings do play a part. And if people just aren't interested in it, they're not going to watch. So I I can understand it from the, uh, from the station's point of view, you know, it's like, okay, well, it's sure, this content that's not getting the viewers like we want. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if the network doesn't think it's worth the investment, then they're not going to keep paying for it. Yeah. But, uh, I will say he's written some very good books too, though. Yeah. You know, and I have a couple of them and they're excellent. They really are. Yeah. But, uh, you know, with the wonders of the modern internet, uh, there's nothing stopping that guy from doing YouTube and, uh, his own stuff. So, you know, I think a lot of his uh, time is occupied by running Megalithomania over in the UK. <laughs> and if you're not familiar with that, look up the uh, YouTube channel for it, just Megalithomania UK. And there's all sorts of uh, wonderful videos posted fairly regularly of lectures related to not just the giants, but also ancient prehistory. It's really fascinating stuff. Oh, okay. So, yeah, apparently he is doing something. Yeah, I'm just pulling it up now. Yeah, he's on there quite a bit, it looks like. So Yeah, him and all the other usual suspects in <laughs> those fields. Yeah, so uh, that's a, that's always one of those interesting things where you can just kind of pull it out uh, at, at any time. It's like, oh, yeah, by the way, did you know there was giants? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Uh, my favorite is doing the image search for people with double row sets of teeth. And apparently that's still a thing that still happens. Yeah. It's a uh, super rare genetic, uh, I don't want to call it a disorder, but a genetic anomaly at this point, but it does still happen. It's like 0.01% of the world population or something. Yeah. Um, my adopted son, 
he had a tooth removed that was behind all of his other teeth. And uh, the dentist was telling us, it's like, yeah, some, just some people, it's kind of like, um, you know, the vestigial tail is just something that we don't use anymore, but it still happens quite a lot, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right. But he had it removed. Yeah, so no you know firsthand, it. it's not like it's not a thing anymore. It does still happen. Yeah, he was like, usually when we see it, it's like one or two teeth. Uh, and then the dentist was like, I've pulled as much as four from from some poor kid who was having problems with it. I was like, man, I couldn't even imagine four. But uh, but yeah, it's a, a, definitely a thing that still happens in some people. So, so it's so strange. Of course, that's the that's the rest with uh, the human body as it is. It's just weird stuff, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You never know when X, Y, or Z thing is going to crop up, and there's not necessarily a reason for it. There's a lot of insanely and truthfully incomprehensible chemistry going on every second of every day. Yeah, uh, you know, we like to think we know a lot about biology, but I really don't think we do. No. Uh, <laughs> It's like the doctors of the modern era, for whatever reason, just thought it would be a good idea to start cutting things out of people. And my thought was always, well, if it's there, it has a purpose. It, it may not be known to you at this point, but the appendix comes to mind. Uh, they're now starting. Yeah. To, yeah, they're now starting to study. It was like, well, you could treat an infected appendix a lot better than just going through a surgery to have it removed. Uh, and so they're saying it might actually be healthier for the person to keep their appendix, but just treat whatever infection it's got going on in there. And in the same way with tonsils, you know, a lot of people get a tonsillectomy done, but if you keep your tonsils, then you're filtering out a lot of crap that would normally go into your system. So they're, they're finding that these things aren't just willy nilly put there for no reason, or it's leftover sure. caveman stuff anymore. They're starting to say, yeah. yeah, you should keep it. Maybe an invasive surgery is probably like the last step you should do. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, what if it was actually barbaric to hack up the human body? <laughs> oh, no, God forbid. <laughs> you know, and I, I seem to recall actually reading somewhere. And I want to say it was on like some holistic news or health website. So maybe take it with a grain of salt. I won't stand by this as gospel. But you're going to hurt my I, essential oil sales. Right. Well, I uh, I seem to recall reading, though, you know, with those caveats in place, that uh, there's never been a case of cancer in anyone who still had their tonsils. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And again, you know, record keeping, maybe that's not verifiable. But that was the assertion of this article that got uh, targeted at me once upon a time. And I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. You know, even if it occurs at a lower rate among that segment of the population, that would still be interesting all the same. Yeah, it, definitely something worth study. Uh, I, I still have my tonsils, and I definitely notice that I don't get colds as often as other people. Um, my allergies are a little bit less than other people, so, I mean, there might be something to it. And anecdotal evidence is still evidence. It's just not very good evidence, but it's still there. Yeah, you know, you can't submit it to a formal proof, but that doesn't mean it's not a thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's quite crazy, and um, with especially with medical science, it, it, things change so often uh, when you go to look at it. And you, like you said before, the replication crisis, uh, you have a hard time replicating even those results uh, without violating some kind of ethics. You know, <laughs> we're going to start testing a thousand people 
<laughs> here and there just for various stuff and then not telling them what you're testing them for and everything. But, uh, yeah, at, at, at some point, I guess, <laughs> continued study will we'll start figuring stuff out, but uh, not, not at any point soon, I, I would think. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. All right. Well, uh, I think that will do it for this time. Pause. I would love to have you back on. Uh, go ahead and drop all your plugs right here, and uh, we'll get people to start going over in your direction. Yeah. So I am one of the main primary hosts of the Gaslight Hour. We have a Twitter account. You can find the link on uh, all of our Twitter profiles, I think, at this point. But it's the Gaslight Hour at Libsyn.com. Uh, you can find my Twitter profile at Dogman Respector, like you said at the uh, beginning there. Yep. I have also done guest appearances on probably pretty close to every other podcast that your listeners listen to. You know, if there's one I haven't been on yet, pester the hosts to have me on and I will go on. Yeah. Uh, and if anyone wants to support my independent work, check out my pinned tweet for ways to do that. Well, that's very awesome, and uh, guys, check him out on Twitter. He uh, he drops some uh, some good bombs every now and then, so it's always fun to to read his Twitter account. So, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, so it's it's always good. All right, uh, pause. It's been great. Uh, hope to have you back on again at some point. Uh, we can talk about other things. Uh, but at this point, uh, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, definitely check out his stuff, and we'll come at you next week with a brand new episode of Rebel with a Cause. Out. <laughs>